On this edition of The Table of Content, we are joined by Kevin O'Brien, an actor, writer, and teacher. We'll talk with him specifically more about Flannery O'Connor as we try to open up her writings for a little bit more uh, understanding. Join us. That's coming up next right here on The Table of Content. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Table of Content. I am your host, Albert Sines, and we have the pleasure of being joined by Kevin O'Brien. Kevin, thanks so much for being with us. Well, thank you, Albert. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. So, uh, Kevin, uh, people, uh, listeners may not know who you are. Some of them may. They may be familiar with you from your Activity with Theater of the Word, potentially EWTN, or maybe they just know the name Kevin O'Brien. But for those who may not, can you help our listeners know a little bit more about your background, your history? Well, I was an atheist for many years, as early as the age of nine. And then really through my experiences on stage as an actor, I began the long journey spiritually that eventually saw me and my wife enter the Catholic Church about 21 years ago now. And um, so I've made my living mostly as an actor and a writer producing shows, and now as a teacher teaching for Homeschool Connections, which is an online uh, resource for uh, homeschoolers, both uh, children and also we're doing some stuff for adults now too. And uh, I at one point started the Theater of the Word Incorporated, which... uh, travels around the country and evangelizes through drama, believe it or not, and uh, had a series by that name on EWTN. I've done done a lot of work on EWTN, appeared in many different sorts of shows dramatically and as different characters and so forth. And so I try to take uh, my talents in showbiz and somehow use them either in teaching or in writing or in performing for the glory of God. Well, that's a... uh... It's a good synopsis, but obviously a very interesting journey. I'm sure we could really spend a lot of time trying to open up the journey from atheist to taking drama on the road to help lead others to Christ and to evangelize. But it sounds like it's uh, definitely a, a, a bigger story that'd be worth trying to dig into in another uh, another episode. Sure. And um, also, if people are interested, I have a book about it, which is called An Actor Bows, Showbiz, God, and the Meaning of Life. And so, you know, at one point, I'm sure we'll give my website and people can go there. And, and I tell that whole story in the book. And there's a lot of humor in it, too, because I tell some of the true life stories about what it's like to be an actor on the road and to try to make a living in this crazy business. So uh, that's one source for more info on me and my strange history. So, Kevin, as I nodded to in the intro, uh, we're actually not going to talk a whole lot about your life, but you wanted to talk more about Flannery O'Connor, and I know you actually have some sort of other things uh, that are coming into play now. Uh, So I'd like to just sort of first ask the question, uh, what is your interest with Flannery O'Connor? Because... um, you know, I, I've heard I've heard mixed uh, opinions uh, about her from from people, and there's this sort of this overarching tendency to want to say she's such a dark 
writer and <laughs> macabre. You know mm-hmm. uh, how? You know why? Why? Why would we want to be interested in Flannery O'Connor? So let me ask you the question: Why Flannery O'Connor? Well, that's actually a great question. Um, after being an atheist and becoming Catholic. One of the things that surprised me was um, what it's like to be Catholic day in and day out and to deal with other Catholics. And I think one of the big problems we all tend to run up against is the faith for us can become a system or almost an external thing. We go to Mass, we sometimes pray our prayers, we do what we want, we we maybe have groups of other Catholics that we associate with, and we don't necessarily live the faith or understand Christ uh, the way we ought to. And I think it's a temptation uh, as a Catholic, probably as a Protestant as well, to be like that. And I think Flannery cuts through that. Now, she cuts through it in a way that's rather shocking. Um, she was convinced that her job as a writer of fiction was uh, to write for people who really didn't believe in God. And in all of her stories, and she's especially known as a writer of short stories, although she wrote a few novels and some essays, in all of her stories, she shows us people who get struck with grace, with the grace of God, and to get our attention as a, as readers and to get the attention of the characters in the story, the grace comes in unexpected, shocking, and sometimes violent ways. And then you see the reaction of the characters involved. Do they resist it? Do they open themselves up to it? And I think it's Flannery's technique as a writer of fiction of taking us, the reader, on a journey to see how... God operates in ways that we might least expect, and to see how easy it is for us to build these walls around our hearts and souls so that the grace of God cannot penetrate. I think she really gets it. And in fact, I have a whole list here, Albert. I might try to find a couple quotes of some of the things she said in her letters that give you an idea of how deeply Catholic she was. Um, I think there are a few writers out there who who were holy in a way, though they may not have appeared to uh, to most normal people, and maybe they'll never actually be canonized as saints. But what I mean is, they they took in um, they took in the faith in a way where everything they did was somehow an expression of it, especially their art. When they're writers, it's their literary art. I think, for instance, The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, J.R.R. Tolkien, you find an entire universe that it, the atmosphere is breathed, uh, it, it, you breathe it in and out, and it comes from Tolkien's relationship, not only with Christ, but with the Eucharist. And that helps create that sort of world that is indefinable but fascinating. Flannery does the same thing. I think even Shakespeare does some of that, but I think we really see it in an author like Flannery, and that's why I've become more and more interested in her over the years. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still sort of, uh, I'm latching on to the way you described it, because I believe it's accurate, the way that Flannery sort of presents her characters and their moment of metanoia, if you will, where it's sort of shocking, it's abrupt, or it's even violent. Uh, 
But I, I can't help but think, you know, that scripturally, God himself had to work that way with some of the people that he needed to do his work. I mean, we, we, I mean, we look at we look at Saint Paul. Uh, definitely took something shocking to take someone who was persecuting Christians and turn him into someone who was uh, evangelizing for Christ. Uh, definitely, you don't do that by just sort of gently asking, saying, "Would <laughs> would would you mind helping me out?" Uh, so I I, I think that. Uh, I can sort of understand better why Flannery O'Connor depicts her characters having to go through something uh, very sort of intense to have their their shift in thinking. Well, and if you think about St. Paul in particular, and I love Paul, and in fact, I have a one-man show as Paul that I do and that we've done for many years now. Paul was a Pharisee. And in the Gospels, Jesus is more critical of the Pharisees than any other group of people, certainly more so than tax collectors or prostitutes. The Pharisees were particularly in jeopardy of their souls because they were so filled with pride and they were convinced of their own righteousness. And that's Paul before his conversion, so much so that he's persecuting Christians and making sure that Christians are rounded up and imprisoned and killed. And then when Paul is confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus, Christ says, Paul, Saul, he says at that point, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, I realized at one point that that's an echo to the Old Testament where Saul, King Saul, the first king of the Israelites, is pursuing David, who then becomes the great king. And David at one point stands on a a hill opposite and yells out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me or pursuing me? So that when that happened to St. Paul, he must have known, oh my gosh, I'm Saul and Christ is David. What have I been doing with my life? He's struck blind for three days and he has a complete, as you say, metanoia or conversion, but he had to be hit with that and he had to be hit upside the head. Now, in Paul's case, he responded to it, and he put his hand to the plow, and he didn't look back. But, you know, I mean, Paul's a particularly powerful character. For the rest of us, we get hit upside the head with grace, and either we ignore it, or we don't recognize it as grace, or we continue to resist it, because that's who we are. That's why we need a Savior. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, let's let's move into... Flannery here. Now, I'm sure there's a wealth of information, but let's try to maybe take a couple of her stories that you'd like to sort of uh, focus on and kind of see where we can go from there. So what, what's what's one story you'd like that personally you enjoy trying to expound upon? Well, um, you know, as we're going to talk about in a minute, I'm starting an online Flannery O'Connor book club, and I've had sort of a prototype of that going on for a while. And we always start with a good man is hard to find. Well, sure. You know, I was thinking, why, why, why not just go go right to it? <laughs> and that's one of the most shocking and disturbing of her stories. Um, but there's a pattern in her stories. And the pattern is she typically gives us 
characters who are full of themselves in one way or another. Sometimes she makes them yuppies. Sometimes they live in cities. All of her stories take place in the South. And so often we're given these characters who, you know, they're just, they're like this and they talk. Some of them don't have teeth and they're kind of backwoods. So she gives us a lot of colorful characters. She gives us great prose and tremendous dialogue. And then sometimes either these, um, these you might call them rednecks, or the yuppies on the other end of the spectrum, uh, she shows them in situations that, that uh, challenge them and put them at a kind of what I would call liminal experience, where they're at the very limit of existence. And in some of her stories, as in A Good Man is Hard to Find, when things get hot and heavy toward the end and it builds to a climax... All of the characters are under this very bright sky, and yet there seems to be no sun out, which symbolically is a way of saying that they're, they're closer to the edge of, um, of reality. They're closer to God in a way. And in that story, you know, I don't want to give everything away, spoiler alert, but <laughs> it, it has to do with, it has to do with a, a grandmother figure who I kind of like her. Most people who read the story don't like her. They think she's just too annoying and she's bossy and she lives with her son and her daughter-in-law and their two kids. And they actually have three kids. They have a baby as well. And it's almost like the Simpsons. It's almost like an early version of the Simpsons. It's a tremendously dysfunctional family. And the grandmother is doing her best to try to make everybody happy, but she's also kind of bossy. She's very judgmental. She's, uh, you know, she talks about, um, oh, I mean, she's a racist. She's got, um, she's got her, her faith and she's able to judge everybody else as being below the bar, whereas the reader begins to understand pretty soon that this, the grandmother herself is the woman who has some real issues. By the end of the story, she she and the others are confronted with a character called the misfit. And if you think about it, Albert, in a way, we're all misfits. Certainly, if you look at the apostles, Jesus chose 12 misfits. He didn't choose 12 people who kind of had it made. He chose the people who were either fishermen or tax collectors and who probably, at least when they followed him, they couldn't quite get it right while he was on earth. Mm -hmm. They couldn't quite understand him. And then they all run away from him when he needs them the most. And in a way, we are all, as the Bible says, strangers and sojourners on this earth. The misfit is like that. But the misfit in particular is violent. He's a fugitive. He's on the run. He's escaped from prison. And there's an interaction between the grandmother and this fugitive where her life is at risk because he's so violent and frightening. And she has this moment where she understands that as bad as he is, he's kind of her her son. Now, not literally her son, because her real son is a mess, in a mess in a different way than the misfit is. But she recognizes a kind of um, relationship between her, and she's very judgmental and condescending, and him. And he is this character who's done a little bit of everything and is trying to scrape together a living legally or illegally. And even though he's on the outskirts of society, she has a flash where she actually, her heart goes out to him. She loves him and she reaches out to him and he reacts in a very negative way. That's the moment of grace in the story. And I think 
if you have a book club like the one I'm starting, if you have somebody who leads it uh, with passion and who, who understands Flannery a bit and who loves the fiction, then maybe the readers can start to understand, oh, this is what's happening, and this is why these stories are actually deeply Catholic, even though they seem to be grotesque or um, they are... Um, you know, they're, uh, they're just violent and shocking. Well, if you get past that, you can see the techniques that she's using and how she's really dealing with the human spirit and our interaction with the mystery of God. In fact, let me just quote a little bit from what she wrote to one of her friends. Okay. She says, one of the awful things about writing when you are a Christian is that for you, the ultimate reality is the incarnation. The present reality is the incarnation Nobody believes in the incarnation. That is, nobody in your audience. My audience, she writes, are people who think God is dead. At least these are the people that I am conscious of writing for. And before we start ourselves getting prideful and saying, well, I believe in God. I don't think he's dead. She writes elsewhere. She says, then another thing, what one what one has has as a born Catholic is something given and accepted before it is experienced. She says, I'm only slowly coming to experience things that I have all along accepted. So she's talking about a difference between the faith as something accepted and the faith as something experienced. She says, I suppose the fullest writing comes from what has been accepted and experienced both and that I have just got not got that far yet all the time. Conviction without experience makes for harshness. I think that's very perceptive. Conviction without experience makes for harshness. And we might go around convicted in the truths of the faith, and yet if we don't experience the love of God through prayer and the sacraments and the love of our neighbor through trying to do good, we end up harsh because we've got the faith, but we don't have the experience to live it out. That, I think, is what she's doing in all of the fiction she's writing, is bringing us that kind of experience through fiction. Okay, in my, I was, I was born and raised Catholic, but mm-hmm. I did not try, I did not start to experience my faith until maybe around I was 13, and that mm. was when I got into youth ministry, right? So it was this sort of like, hey, great, now I get to hang out with other people that say that they're Catholic, they're my age, and we do all these sort of fun things together, and there's music, mm-hmm. and we jump up and down, and we raise our hands. Right. And that was sort of like this like initial transition. I thought, hey, this is great. Look, 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 look at what I'm doing. I'm being a good Catholic, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But no one had, no one had sort of taken me to that next level to really sort of expand upon the sacraments, you know, to Mm. expand upon the Eucharist, upon reconciliation, expand upon what the church really is. And that didn't come till I was 19. So I spent about six years sort of just in this sort of high point, you know, being like, this is great, this is great. And then I was walloped when I actually, for the first time, was introduced to sort of the, the, the really sort of sacred truths, the capital T in, in tradition uh, of the Catholic Church. And it 
changed. It just, my my outlook on the church changed, my life experience changed. And so began, almost it was a more difficult journey because obviously I was going into adulthood at that point. Now I'm sort of confronted with the real sort of almost uh, cross to, to carry, you know, from what I thought I was like, oh yeah, I'm I'm burdened. It's like, well, no, now you know really what you're supposed to be doing. So I imagine that from Flannery's sort of perspective and how she was saying how she sort of is still trying, you know, in her quote that she was saying, she was still trying to sort of experience, still trying to sort of figure out, you know, yes. uh, what exactly the faith really was. And as prolific as she was in her writings and as dedicated as she was to her faith, to sort of be in that position and to have someone like Flannery O'Connor say, well, I'm not done yet. I'm, I'm still working at, at it. And that's maybe the story for all of us. You know, we're yes. all still working at it. Yes, yes, indeed. I agree. And it's interesting to hear her write something like that when you recognize that she was struggling as well. And I think that's good art can come from that. It comes from the struggle of the artist. And so, um, yeah. And, and the other thing that Flannery wrote at one point to one of her friends, and this has to do with experience. As you said, you began to experience by the time you were 19 or so, Albert, your faith in a more intimate way. She actually said that she didn't like using the word love loosely. She said, I prefer to use it in its practical forms, such as prayer, almsgiving, visiting the sick and burying the dead and so forth. And I think if you would say, well, why would she say something like that? We all talk about love, but if you think about it, especially if we hear homilies about how God loves us or we, you know, love God, love your neighbor and so forth, that's all great. But it's, if we think of it in that way, we're distant from it and we're not experiencing it. But for instance, if you have a sick baby and you're up all night or you're changing a dirty diaper or you're dealing with, you know, during the pandemic, you're dealing with your spouse and you've been homebound and you're ready to kill each other, that kind of mutual forgiveness, that's love in action. And when we experience it, it's a totally different thing than when we think about it uh, as, uh, as a sort of separate uh, concept. So... And that's really what good fiction always does, whether it's Flannery O'Connor or anybody, it enables us through our imaginations to enter into an embodied or an incarnated um, um, story that shows us how things are experienced and lived that otherwise we might think of a little too um, exteriorly. And so it can interiorize it for us in a way that's safe because it's merely make-believe. So here, here's here's my question. So we have, mm -hmm. we have a world that's filling up with multitudes and multitudes of literature of all sorts of breeds and genres. And, you know, I, uh, I'm not opposed to modern literature. I think there's some good writers out there and some, uh, some well-done books that are entertaining, that are inspiring, that are picked Pick the positive adjective that you want. And I, I think mm -hmm. there's books like that. And of course, it's mm -hmm. subjective, you know, but mm -hmm. I I think that we're also in the midst of a time where people aren't necessarily engaging themselves in literature that could be really sort of truly life changing, you know. So how many people today are going to go and pick up Flannery O'Connor without someone sort of prodding them and saying, 
look, you really need to you really need to read this story. You need to pick up some Flannery O'Connor and you need to sit down. You need to read it and get your eyes opened. Uh, and then after that, join the book club with Kevin O'Brien and find out <laughs> some more. So, right. uh, it, what? How do we? How do we get a society which is sort of shifting its gaze towards a world encompassed in a kind of four by six screen held in their hand Mm -hmm. uh, and full of distractions and full of social media and trying to go from that to picking up Flannery O'Connor so that hopefully, and she may not be for everyone. I I acknowledge Mm -hmm. that she may not be, Mm -hmm. but how do we get Flannery O'Connor or at least things like Flannery O'Connor into the hands of people who maybe really need a revelation? Well, that's a great question. I think uh, community is part of the answer, because even in Scripture, you have the story of Philip and the eunuch, and the eunuch is trying to read something in uh, Isaiah, I think, in the Old Testament, and he doesn't understand it. And he says to Philip, how can I understand this if no one explains it to me? Well, we're all in that position. This is why there is such a thing as education. Now, the one good thing about the internet, well, there are many good things about the internet. One of the really good things about it is it can build this sense of community, especially at a time during a pandemic when people can't necessarily gather as frequently with others in person. So uh, with, for instance, the book club, my online Flannery O'Connor book club, which we're calling Fun with Flannery, Okay, because okay. we had to think of a okay. it's, we had it's to positive, think of a catch, it's good, good. Right? So, um, one of the things about this is, I think, uh, with book clubs, if a book club is run well, the people who are members of it uh, start to get to know one another. They're focusing on the same thing, and especially if they like what they're reading, and it builds this sense of friendship and community and helps people to understand what they're reading. And if they're reading something good, if they're reading good art, good works of literature, it will raise their hearts and minds beyond themselves and bring them closer to God if it's a well-done work. So that's the plan with our fun with Flannery Book Club is, as you can tell, I mean, I really love the writing and I, I try to convey it in a way that's exciting and enthusiastic to help people get enthused about it. And people are going to be confused. They're not going to understand. They won't be able to know why is why are there moments of violence in these stories? What's going on here? But I think we're going to do a different story every month. And it's pretty easy to read a short story a month. You know, we're all very busy, but most people can fit in at least one short story a month, and then grow in our appreciation of her and of what she's doing, and hopefully grow in our faith at the same time. So that's my plan, and I think that's what people need. And the other thing that's interesting to me is people want it. There's a real demand for it. There's there's more and more online education, including for adults, and there's more podcasts. You know, think about that, that it's it's really a kind of revolution in uh in our society where people are getting educated there's a you see that people are seeking out difficult and challenging intellectual subjects because they're hungry for that and i think if you give people the opportunity to enjoy and engage in um challenging intellectual subjects or good literary art that people will respond to that and actually enjoy it i completely support placing content out there 
that is more intellectually stimulating and that can generate a conversation and, God willing, potentially, even if it's only one small minute item, maybe place a thought in someone's head that he didn't have before that just might grow, that might be the seed that would grow into something great. Um, yeah, there because, you go. Well, amen, amen to that. And it sounds like you're doing that with this podcast. Well, you know, we're 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 trying to do do our, our best. You know, it's wrapped up around audio theater, but the chance to sort of give now an opportunity to let other people hear about uh, writers, authors, uh, playwrights, and try to open them up in a way that hopefully may lead someone, maybe after this, to maybe just pick up one Flannery O'Connor story and read it with uh, with a way that they wouldn't have done before. So if, if we do that with this podcast, I will call it a success. If you get one person in your book club from this podcast episode, I will call it a success. <laughs> I, I bet you we will, and we'll probably get more than that. So with that in mind, why don't I tell some of the details about it, how people can find out about the book club and join it and all that. Okay? Yeah, go ahead and give the, de- the details here before we okay. run out of time, and then uh, we'll Good. wrap up after that. Okay, so my website that deals with this sort of thing is classeswithkevin.com, because my name's Kevin. So you just type in classeswithkevin.com, and you'll get to my website. And at the very top... Uh, it there's a little post about the Flannery O'Connor Book Club, and the, and you click on that, and to register for it, it takes you to another site that goes into detail. I've got a little introductory video. I talk about what we're going to be doing, and then you just sign up for it. We're going to be meeting on the second Tuesday of every month, beginning March 11th. So the second Tuesday of March is our first meeting. We're going to be discussing in that first meeting the story, A Good Man is Hard to Find. We will meet at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and uh, then do the math for wherever you might be listening to this. But you're Eastern folks, and I think you're on Eastern Time, 8 p.m. on Tuesdays, second Tuesday of each month. And then on the website, you'll see a list of all the stories we're going to discuss, and you'll see a bunch of comments. I taught a class about Flannery O'Connor for high school students online, and they were—I've never had— as many positive responses from anything that I've ever taught than I did from the class on Flannery O'Connor. And I've got some of their comments up on my website that you'll see, and and uh, it'll maybe motivate you even more to be part of this. So that's the plan. It'll be fun. And if you're, if you're in the book club and you're confused about the stories or you don't get it, that's fine. That's why we're there. Uh, we're there to help talk about it and uh, understand it and try to approach uh, these uh, works of art and see and see where they lead. So it's it'll be for all um, interests, and and you know don't be overwhelmed if you think you're not a particularly good or attentive reader. You'll learn how to do that as the book club continues. So I invite everybody to participate. Okay, so that's classeswithkevin.com, and that will take them the rest of the way to sign up for the first meeting coming up on March 11th, right? Right. Okay. Now, uh, just for anyone else who's uh, listening, uh, Kevin, do you have just, if anyone's more interested actually in uh, more about you or the theater of the word or classes, uh, where else can they find information about you? 
Well, on my sort of my catch-all website that deals with everything I do is grunky.com, G-R-U-N-K-Y.com. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. What? Gr- <laughs> grunky. grunky. Why, why grunky? Why grunky? Grunky is a word that G.K. Chesterton coined when he was five years old to describe his spirituality. And so you don't hear that word anywhere. And G.K. Chesterton is another one of my favorite authors and was more than any other writer responsible for my conversion to the Catholic faith. So we call the website grunky.com. And uh, that way it's it's easy to remember, I hope, since it's a word that you don't hear anywhere else. Okay. So, uh, listeners, uh, grunky.com for <laughs> Kevin's catch-all. And maybe that now will lead you to pick up some G.K. Chesterton and uh, find out more about Kevin Uh, Join the Flannery O'Connor Book Club uh, if you are so interested. We hope that you are. Or just uh, maybe you're interested just to pick up the book on your own, find some of her short stories, uh, and uh, find more about this very, very Catholic writer. And maybe maybe pause a little bit more uh, before we uh, take judgment out on her content and try to look at it with a more open mind and find uh, find the turning point in our own lives, uh, Mm. hopefully from... Uh, what we experience in her readings. Uh, Kevin, can you give us one last really great Flannery O'Connor quote that sort of just sort of wraps it up? (laughs) Well, okay. uh, Dealing with a good man is hard to find. She, in one of her letters, tells her friend about how she went to a college and they were discussing her story with her. And, um, One of the students said, what is the significance of the misfits hat? In other words, what's the deep symbolism in the hat that the character, the misfit wears? And her answer, she says, I said it was to cover his head. And after that, he left me alone. So not everything in Flannery's stories is deeply symbolic. Sometimes a hat simply covers your head. Well, on that note, we're going to go ahead and uh, cover up our own heads here and bring this episode to a close. Kevin, thanks so much for being with us here. Well, thank you, Albert, and uh, God bless you and and everything you guys are doing there. It sounds like you have a great um, ministry and apostolate, and uh, I'm, 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 it's, I'm enthused to even be part of this with you. Well, we are glad to have you, and uh, maybe again we'll find some uh, another episode to take up more, uh, maybe a more in-depth conversation about your own life, or maybe more about Flannery O'Connor. Great. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Table of Content. Always glad to have you on board, and we hope that you will tune in again next time on the Table of Content. Until then, be good, stay safe, peace. Mm-hmm.